Someday we get to hear from one of our missionaries. Uh, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Jonathan Winters. Well, good morning. It is fun to be back in South Dakota. This is like coming home for me, just so you know. Uh, Mary and I started out in ministry just up the road in Millbank. While we were in Bible College at Trinity Bible College, uh, uh, we were youth pastoring there. And uh, some of you have met my brother David out at the camp and then with men's ministries. And, and uh, it's just kind of funny because we kind of converged as a family on South Dakota. Um, anyway, so it's fun to come back. Anyway, thank you. And just in case you misheard, it's not Jonathan Winters. If you were thinking you were coming to hear the comedian this morning, I'm not that funny, okay? So, knocking down your hopes just a little bit. Uh, before I get started, Pastor Jeff, I, I don't know if you noticed, but you destroyed me this morning. You know that hymn that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul? It was written by a missionary. I don't know if you know that story. But back in the days when missionaries traveled by boats. Now, I can relate to that because I've spent the last number of years, anyway. We've been 19 years appointed to Indonesia now. But a uh, nation of islands. And that his story has come back time and time again. And there was a time that he was traveling separate from his family. They were on a different boat, and it sank. And as he was on the same route, a short time later, as they passed over that spot, the Lord gave him that song. It is well with my soul. And as we sang it, memories were flooding back. Holding sick babies. Being in... in hospital rooms and then the late in the night those words squeaking out saying it is well with my soul because we have a hope that is so much greater than the struggles and the difficulties that we face here and it's because of the moments that you fight through that it is well with my soul and and this is why I'm sharing it because I really yeah, you wrecked me, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit was just wanting to take a moment this morning for somebody and just say, it takes the moment where you speak out in the moment of pain and struggle. It is well with my soul that brings the other side when you can say, Lord, you are faithful. Yeah. <laughs> There are two songs that will wreck me every time. And one of them, it is well with my soul. The other is, it is he is faithful. I don't know if you heard that song. It's, it's really great. But anyway, it's a little more contemporary. God is faithful. He will see you through every moment. But give it to him. Give it to him. All right. For those of you that don't know, my name is Jonathan Winter. Along with my wife, Mary, and our three wonderful kids, we have had the privilege of serving in the nation of Indonesia. We've been appointed to Indonesia for 19 years now. I don't feel that old. But my oldest is in college now at, at, uh, at Northwest University. Again, just a little bit the other direction. But uh, 
And our, old, our, our second, Asher, uh, praise the Lord if you've been praying for Asher. When he was 12 years old, he was diagnosed with a hip disease, a bone disease that caused his femur and his hip to deteriorate. And he was put in a, in a wheelchair and crutches for two years solid, no weight whatsoever. It firmed up and fused so he could put weight on it. January 23rd of this year, God provided a way for them to go in and do hip reconstruction. The bones are fully developed and ready to do that. They've replaced the hip and the joint and everything else. And just before I left for this trip, okay, that hip hasn't bent at all for four years. Now, just before I left, he's running across the driveway. Everything was staying level, and it bends. God is good. He's still working through PT. He's, got, he's still on crutches just for balance, probably for the next few months, and he'll have a long road for PT. Those muscles haven't been used for six years. So, uh, yeah, you think you haven't been to the gym in a while? <laughs> and then our daughter, Isabel, uh, is a sophomore in high school this year, and... Yeah, just amazing to see how faithful God is. But we've had the privilege of, of, of ministering and my kids growing up in the nation of Indonesia. And if you don't know where that is, look down. Say, hi, Indonesia. It's pretty much right on the other side of the world. We are 12 time zones away. You don't go any further away without coming back. Okay, it is a little warmer. We're four degrees below the equator where we lived, and so I'm kind of missing that the last few days. But uh, Indonesia is a nation of 17,508 islands, the fourth largest nation in the world, believe it or not, by population. Spread out as far as east is to the west in the U.S. here, a little bit further, actually. It is the nation with the highest population of Muslim people on the planet. Now, that might kind of mess with your thinking of Southeast Asia, because it did mine when we first arrived. I tried to prepare myself for it, and, and, and I still was shocked that among the rice paddies and, and the terraces, you would hear the call to prayer go out. You guys can run that, the, the video give you a visual um, of what, what our lives look like. But hear the call to prayer go out 4.30 in the morning. And again, throughout the day, calling people to come and go through a ritual of religion to pray at the, at the mosque five times a day. We've just seeing the end of Ramadan come to conclusion with Eid al-Fitri. And it's a time of celebration. But it's after a month of devotion to the law. Of going without food or water during daylight hours. Now, that sounds easy. Let me just tell you, it really isn't. Okay? It's really the water one that gets me. We've tried it. It takes dedication and devotion. 
It messed with our concept of what we thought was normal. And yet in the midst of that desire, God has done some tremendous things. In Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through, or 13 through 15, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pins some words that should speak to us powerfully because he says, but how can they call on someone that they, have, that they don't believe in? And how can they believe in someone whom they've never heard of? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can someone tell them unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If you want to understand what we do in this fellowship that we have, I, I love the Assemblies of God because we exist to see people come to know Jesus. And if you want to understand that concept and the biblical mandate for why we as a fellowship would do this thing we called missions, it's right there in Romans chapter 10. Because we believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we believe that they need to hear about him before they can believe. And we understand the process of that is that somebody has to go to tell them. And before anyone can go, they actually have to be sent. Pat Haji is an older man now. He has lived his entire life with an awareness of God. From the time he was a boy, he has been devout. He's gone to the mosque five times a day. He has memorized large portions of the Quran in Arabic, a language he doesn't even speak. He saved up his money throughout his life because he felt the need. If I'm going to draw close to God, I need to go to Mecca. And from Indonesia, a third world country, by the way, he's not a wealthy man at all. And when I say not wealthy, I'm not talking American standards not wealthy. I'm talking Southeast Asia, not wealthy. And yet he saved up through his life to take a pilgrimage to Mecca. When he returned because of his devotion, because of his sacrifice, he's looked at as an elder and a respected religious leader in the community. And yet after years and years of that devotion, he still had this hunger to know who God really was and to know what it was, what it was to live a life that pleased God. And God is amazing. Now, in my thinking, I think that everybody should come to know Jesus in Sunday school. I really do. It is an amazing 
thing. It's an amazing testimony to be able to walk with Jesus from as early as you can remember all the way through your life. You know, that's my life story. Seeing how God worked in my grandparents' lives. My great-grandmother was a single mother in, in, in New Mexico with a dirt floor and a number of children. And the Azusa Street revivals were happening. And it was sweeping across the country. And it came to her little church and hit her hard. Her kids, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Her kids were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now four generations later, here am I. I praise the Lord. I think everybody should have heritage like that. But I'm amazed to see that God works in process. And he's worked in Pahaji's life and put this hunger inside of him that he's been looking so that when two young people, a young couple, came to his community on a small island in Indonesia. And they just came in with joy and peace and said, how can we bless you? How can we work in this community to see God you know, glorified here? Now, they didn't come right out and say it that way. They just came and integrated as part of the community to love people. Started helping out with things. They had their job. They had their nine to five. And even in their nine to five, they just lived life out. And Pahaji kept meeting with this couple and seeing them. And he was drawn to something they had. And as they started meeting together, this young couple said, well, have you ever read the holy books? Do you ever read what the prophet Moses wrote in Genesis? Did you know that the gospel starts in Genesis chapter 1? I have come to believe that every book of the Bible contains the gospel. Because it is so clear, pointing to Jesus all the way through. And they started talking about creation. And from creation, they started talking about other prophets. Talking about what happened with Cain and Abel. Talking about what happened with Noah and the ark. Talking about what happened when Abram was called. Now, in case you haven't figured it out, that young couple were former students of mine that, now this isn't me at all, this is just a God thing, but uh, that God had put a heart and a calling on their life to go to a place that they had never been, to live in a culture that they had never been a part of, to speak in a language that they had never spoken. They're Indonesian, but that's Indonesia. Over 760 different languages and dialects across the country. Many different cultures and people groups. It's a lot of fun. It's National Geographic's dream place. So they're moving cross-culturally within their own country to share the love of Jesus. Moving from established, above-ground traditional churches to places that they cannot gather legally to worship like that to share the love of Jesus. But it took a process of sending, raising up, training, preparing, 
sending for them to be the light in a community that was still full of darkness. Now, that's missions in a nutshell. That's what we want to see happen over and over and over again, right? And, and that's really what the focus of our ministry in Indonesia has been, and I'm telling you kind of our story. <sighs> yeah, I come back to South Dakota, and I get really nostalgic. You'll have to forgive me a little bit. Because it was when we were here that God put a heart for one people group in our, in our, in our, in, in our DNA. And we began to pray for one single people group in Indonesia. 2.4 million people. And we're thinking, how can you use a young couple to impact 2.4 million people? I know, that's more than, yeah. <laughs> that's more than our state, right? That's just one island. Indonesia is also, like, the island that we lived on is the most densely populated landmass on Earth, Okay. So going from the prairies and the open plains like this to Southern California times four. Okay, I'm not talking the big cities. There's still, you know, lots of trees and a lot of vegetation. There's just people everywhere. My parents live in, in, in Spearfish. And the infrastructure of Spearfish is, is like... 10 times the size of the city that I lived in, but my city had 190,000 people. Okay? Just a comparison there. And we called it a small town. Farming community. <laughs> Seriously. But I think about the process that God uses in our lives. And it started with God placing a vision in our hearts for one place on the planet that the name of Jesus was not known. And we shared with you guys years and years ago, I don't know if anybody remembers that, back in 2005, we were here. And you all believed in us. Or maybe you believed in what Jesus was doing. And we went, and we said, God, we don't know how you can use us to impact an island like this. And God is so much bigger than the vision that you and I can carry. Because after our first term, we were not only working with church planting that was happening on that island with that people group, but God had blown away our conception. And as we began to disciple and invest and recreate ourselves, we were seeing God plant in places that gospel had never been in four different people groups, three different islands. And all I could do was step back and go, okay. But what God gives you and I in small portions, if we are faithful with what he gives us, the ones, the twos, he's the one who brings the increase. I, I could kind of go all over and preach the whole Bible this morning because it's kind of on my heart, but... Um, 
There's a, there's a biblical principle there, just in case you didn't know. It's from Matthew 25. You know, the master left, and he had three servants, and he gave each one of them a measure of talents, they said. I like using the word talents. That's kind of King James. It's actually a measure of silver is like the new translations. But in the old King James, it said talents. And I kind of like that because every one of us here has talents and gifts that God has invested in us. But it says that the master gave to each one an investment that they could handle. One he gave, one he gave five, one he gave two, and one he gave one. Because he knew their abilities at that moment, and he didn't want to overwhelm them. And you know the story as well as I do. It's a great parable, but it's really a true thing. That as God has invested in us, and you may be looking at your situation right now and thinking, well, I wish I was a five-talent worker for Jesus, but I'm not, so I just can't do anything. And that's not at all the point of the story. God's plan, the plan for the master, was that every servant would succeed. That each one, whether they got five, whether they got two, or whether they got one, that each one would succeed in seeing a return on the investment that God had put in them, that the master had put into them. And we know the story. The master returns, and the, and the servant who had gotten five, he had doubled it. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The second servant who had two had seen increase. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's only the last one who was given one. A smaller challenge, but well within his ability. Rather than seeing the investment Adequate to his ability, he just said, oh, I'm too scared. I'm scared that if I do something wrong, that the master's going to beat me. Maybe I shouldn't ask. Can I get an amen? So many times the Lord will give us opportunities. He'll invest in us talents, gifts, people. And we just are, <laughs> just don't know if I want, what if I mess up? What if you do? I liked what you said this morning. Be a fool for Jesus. They already think we're weird. <laughs> Supposed to be a stumbling block to the Jew because this whole faith thing doesn't make any sense. If I can do this by my own efforts, well, I feel more comfortable, but Jesus didn't want it that way. He wanted us to step in faith. And so we're saved by grace through faith. That's a huge stumbling block for somebody who's lived by works their whole life. And then just the whole other concept of living with God directing every part of our lives, that is absolute foolishness to the rest of the world. So you're already living like a fool. In a good way. Take that small investment, whether it's big or large, and just say, Lord, I'm going to use it for you. 
Because it's not me that can bring the increase, it's you. And we've seen that happen time and time again. Our God is faithful. So that now, all these years later, we have seen God, not us, take the gospel of Christ into 18 people groups across Indonesia that the gospel had not been preached before. People coming to know Jesus in normal, everyday situations. My friend, my friend came to know Jesus because of the story of Noah. I've probably told you guys this before. It's, it's one of my favorites, but we started looking at Scripture together because a lot of times that's all it takes. We're living out our lives, and people want to know why we live the way that we live. They actually do. They may not ask you unless you put it out there. Man, I was reading in the Bible, or I, was, I read something today that just was so interesting to me. Can I tell you about it? You ever tried that one? It's a great way to lead into a conversation. God came and like spoke to this guy named Noah. So me and my friend were reading the story of Noah, and 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 you know you know the story. Humanity's gotten really evil. God's going to destroy and judge the earth. Big flood, big boat. Well, my friend was amazed by three words that in the Indonesian text said God became angry. You never know the person that you're talking to what in their experience will stand out in Scripture. I have never seen anybody come and get ready to know Jesus because they read the words God became angry. But for my friend, that was revolutionary. Because he had been taught his entire life that the amazing creator God that's above all things doesn't care about what you and I do day by day. He is so great, he's so awesome, he's so sovereign, he's so far removed that he just has put a couple angels to keep record. If you do enough good things, all right. If you do too many bad things, there's going to be some punishment. But he's reading this story with me, and God became angry. (laughs) Just a little bit later in the same story, after they're getting off the ark, if I remember right, you're reading along, and, and it talks about how Noah's life made God happy. Three, three little words, made God happy. And those, that, that paradigm that God cares and we can live a life that makes God happy, that was the turning point. We actually jumped from there to Jesus. How do I live a life that makes God happy? You never know what's going to happen, but when you make the investment, you take the effort. And it happens in the strangest and weirdest places. Our normal, everyday lives. We've been in education. I've, my day job has been teaching at the Bible College in Indonesia for the last 15 years. Mary has been, for the last 10, serving with uh, a Christian international school. She started out as a fourth, four, 
third grade teacher and then moved on to be the principal of the school. And I, I, I think about this one little girl that came in and, and she's just coming in to learn how to read and write and do math, okay? But her parents had said, yeah, she can you know, be taught Bible classes. And during those Bible classes, nothing out of the ordinary, God was moving in this little girl's heart. She had grown up in a Hindu home, in a place where they said prayers to literally millions of gods. And Jesus, yeah, fine, he's just another one of them. But this little girl in third grade, as she's interacting in this environment, and as she starts reading scripture, begins to see Jesus. Mary got the privilege of teaching her how to study the Bible, how to pray to Jesus that he was the only one that she needed to pray to. It's been a few years since that happened, okay? And God is still working in that little girl's heart, and she loves Jesus. She's the only one in her family at this point, at this point, who knows him personally. But her faith is fervent. And it happens in everyday situations. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that we are like salt and light. Okay? He says you're the salt of the earth. The light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But it takes some intentionality. You know that word? Intentionality. Sorry, I've been working overseas. Intentionality is a big English word. If I were to use that even in an English setting in Indonesia, everybody would be like, huh? <laughs> so forgive me if I'm asking, you know what that means? But it means that we do something on purpose. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, who lights a lamp and puts it under a basket? That doesn't make any sense. But you take a lamp and you put it on a pedestal so that it will light the whole room. You and I have been placed in a world that is filled with darkness. You and I are the light of the world. And yet we have to intentionally put ourselves in those moments. Now, believe it or not, I'm actually a tremendously introverted person. I know, that seems crazy. It's called functional introverted. When I have to, the Lord does amazing things, and I can get up and I can speak like this. But it's not me. Well, there was a young man that, that, that God was working on, one of my students. And he was going out with us doing weekend ministry into places that we hadn't seen a church planted ever before. And he's going out and, and we're doing things and, and he's very, very introverted like probably some of us here in this room feel. And just to talk to strangers was excruciating. But God was working. God was helping him grow. He went to fill up his motorcycle with gas. It was the last day. They're getting ready to head back to campus. He was late for a team meeting that they were going to have before they packed up and drove back to campus. 
And while he's there filling up his one and a half gallons of gasoline, the gas station attendants stand in there, and the Holy Spirit just began to move in his heart. And so he said, you know, I've been amazed when I look at the weather, how God keeps everything together and how he blesses us through things that are just normal every day. It's a beautiful day. Something simple. I didn't say it as eloquently. He said it in Indonesian, and it was much smoother. But you get the idea. He commented on the weather and attributed it to God. It took a step of intentionality. You know what happens? It says in the book of John that the Father is the one who draws people to himself. Okay? That no one comes to the Father unless the Father first draws them. You and I are living in a world today that is full of darkness, but that where individuals are being drawn by God. And they're waiting for you and I to, to step out with intentionality. As believers, as light. As spoke out, the Holy Spirit had already worked inside. And that gas station attendant said, I have been thinking about that for days. I get off work in just a little bit. What are you doing? Can we talk more? Okay, I know that seems weird, doesn't it? But are you going through your day expecting that God is preparing people like that? Because he is. And if we'll be a little bit intentional, we're going to start seeing how God brings people into our path each and every day. The student looked at his watch and said, well, I'm actually late for a meeting. When do you get off work? 45 minutes from now. He said, okay, I'll be right over there. 45 minutes later, that gas station attendant's wife and little boy and brother come walking up as well. And they all sat down on the curb on the edge of a gas station parking lot and began to go through Genesis chapter 1 and began to see the gospel begin. That God created all things with purpose, all pointing to Jesus. This morning, and I'm actually wrapping up here, okay? This morning, as I was preparing the last minute thing, praying about our time together. The Holy Spirit just laid the story of Samuel in my heart. The calling of Samuel. You know, we, we talk about the concept of missions. We talk about making disciples. We talk about all of these things. And we know it's part of our Christian life. It's part of the DNA of being a disciple of Jesus is making disciples. And we understand that. And we know that. And yet... A lot of times, we're kind of like the little boy Samuel. We know that we've been dedicated to the Lord. We follow Jesus, been baptized, new birth. 
But we keep going back to our bed, and we hear the Lord speaking and calling out Samuel. Samuel, and he comes running up to Eli, and he says, here I am. What do you need? And this happens over and over. If you know the story in the calling of Samuel, it's in, it's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3, and it's a fun story. Read it later. But he keeps coming back to Eli and saying, well, here I am. And finally, Eli gets the picture of what's going on, and he says, no, no, no. I'm not the one calling you. The next time you hear that voice, just say, I'm here, Lord. Please speak. I'm listening. Some of us are walking through our day by day by day, and we're hearing the voice. And we're hearing the Lord put that prick in our heart that says, you know, I'm talking to you. And our go-to moment is to go back and say, well, maybe if I just invite him to church with me, maybe if I just call pastor, maybe if I just do this. This morning, the Holy Spirit's wanting us to hear the, mo hear the word and saying, the response is, speak, Lord, I'm listening. I don't know what God has planned for tomorrow for you. I don't know what he's speaking to your heart right now. He may be talking to you about going around the world to Indonesia. I didn't even share about what God's got on the next plan for us. After 19 years of being focused on Indonesia, God's got me scared once again. We got a call about two years ago from my boss and this is how it started. Jonathan, Mary, we'd like you to pray about something. Those can be terrifying words. We had just signed a contract, the contract for our house for another five years. But as they shared what they wanted us to pray about, as they shared about taking a temporary assignment I got to tell you, I'm getting all, let me just say, God has been faithful. And we are seeing God move through house church networks in places that have never known the gospel before, like we can hardly believe in Indonesia right now. And it's not about us in any way. We get to see what God does. We are one piece of the process of something God is doing in many parts of the nation of Indonesia right now. But I tell you, for the five years before COVID, we were seeing the house church networks double in size every 18 months consistently. And so that we didn't get big heads when everything in Southeast Asia locked down with COVID, like it was serious, like, like really serious. You couldn't travel from city to city. Communication was cut off. It was crazy. We're text messaging. That's all we're doing. When restrictions lightened up and we began to look at what God had done over the first 18 months of COVID, things tripled. When we had the least contact, when there were no trainings, when there was no follow-up, when there, 
God was just working from neighbor to neighbor. As people were living out faith in a moment of fear, and their neighbor that lives like literally six feet away were the only people they could associate with, because you know you had your pods. They were seeing Jesus. Our God is so much bigger. So, so our leadership calls us up and they said, we want you to pray about this. We want you to come back on a temporary assignment to, to, to be the directors of an organization called the Antioch Initiative. It's at NCU at North Central University. Is They're housing it. This is an Assembly of God World Missions partnership between four regions of our, of our, of our missions. Africa, Asia Pacific, where we've been, Eurasia, Middle East, and Northern Asia. And they said, we want to see God moving like he is in Indonesia among all of these regions. Can you just come back and share? Spread some of that DNA. I'm scared out of my mind. I don't know what God even has for my tomorrow. But here's the thing that I do know. That as you and I will simply say, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. Please speak. And we will obediently follow what he directs us to do. Use the talent that he puts in our hands. And if we are obedient to him, he will do far greater than our dreams and expectations could ever be. So that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You stand with me this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to see friends again, to connect with roots, partners in ministry. Lord, they have beautiful feet because of what you've done through them to touch the nations already. But Lord, as you've called me today and you put this, this, this sermon of missions, but also a, a message of challenge. I pray, Lord, that as your Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now in this moment, Lord, that you would help us to respond. Lord, as we think about the investment that you have made in us, the talents, the relationships, the opportunities, the finances that you've put into our hands, that, Lord, you would help us to be brave enough to put them out before you to let you multiply them, Lord. As you are speaking to us, not even here at this moment, but at this moment and throughout our week, our normal lives and days, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be intentional. Help us to not be possessed by the things of this world, but be willing to live like fools in the eyes of the world so that the glory of Christ can be in us. I 
I don't do this very often, but friends, I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of your hearts right now. I've touched a lot of bases today. We've gone a little bit all over the place. And I really believe it was because of the intentional leading of the Holy Spirit. Because in different areas, the Lord has spoken to several people in this place. And you're struggling and you're, you're battling with that idea of fear, anxiety of what it means to just be obedient. You're worried about what people will think. You're worried about the possibility of hurting relationships. And you're worried about the cost of what God is asking you. There is a cost to follow Christ. To be obedient and to work in the way that he wants us to work and to be his disciple, there's a cost. Every one of his disciples gave their lives for the sake of Jesus. We also, in baptism, laid down our past lives to live new life in Christ. The commitment we make in the year 2023 is the same as they made in the year 3033. It's all for Jesus. I'm not going to mess with you. It is hard. But it's worth it. If you will simply allow Jesus to work through you and say yes and be obedient when he speaks, you'll never regret it. Lord Jesus, please today help us to trust you. Help us with our anxiety. Help us with fear so that we'll step out in obedience. Lord, I pray a blessing on your people today. Lord, as they seek after you, as they walk in obedience in following you, as they are intentional as lights in dark places, Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon them. Lord, for you to guide their steps, for you to give them wisdom, discernment, and fullness of power and boldness. Lord, I pray this blessing upon them in the name of Jesus. And I, we worship you and we thank you for all that you are doing. And we look forward to the day that we will worship you throughout all eternity. In daily walking in relationship with you. Physically seeing and touching. We look forward to that hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.